0: The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit Ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. I just want to freshly remind
1: us that difficulty is not something to shy away from. It's something to allow God to utilize in our lives. And in the body of Christ, there is a built-in difficulty and God doesn't shy away from it. The fact that he builds us differently and gives us unique gifts actually sets us up for challenge. And everything that truly brings life seems to be in that juxtaposed position where it's like, for instance, to get healthy, what do you need to do? You need to train and exercise. Have you ever tried training and exercising? It's painful. And yet if you want health, you need to engage in a certain level of difficulty in order to gain that strength. And that seems to be the way God builds us. Now we don't intentionally desire to be a weight on each other's life, but the way that we oftentimes are different than each other can create that weight, that if we properly receive it and exercise with it, makes us stronger. Welcome to the body of Christ. This is a gymnasium of epic proportions, and when we learn how to work together through this, we get stronger. However, most churches today don't labor through that. They just leave. They split. There's schism that takes place, and all throughout Christian history, this has been the case. There are differing perspectives that seem like they have no possibility of finding ground upon which they can agree. And the more you understand doctrinal disputes, the more you could actually chuckle as I say that and go, yep, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, when you have someone like and you have someone like boy, those two can never get along. What we started with here, the environment that you're in, you may not fully understand this, but we called it the Ellerslie experiment. What denomination are you? Oh, we're not a denomination. How can you not be a denomination? That means you're non-denominational. No, non-denominational usually means this. Are you interdenominational? I don't know what we are, but get the word denomination out of there. We're not trying to be a denomination. We want to be the body of Christ. We want to be the body of Christ. It doesn't matter if you have type of perspective and over here, that we learn to work together because we all fix our compass to the same things. We all fix it to the North Star, which is Jesus and him crucified. That is what matters. It matters more than any subsidiary doctrine. And as a result, we can work together even as we are wrestling through some of these other things to get to the same place as one, united. You know, it's a clear command in scripture for us to do that too. And the greatest rebukes in scripture seem to be those that are trying to break that off and divide. So what God seems to, his spirit wants to do is unify us and bring us together, but not in compromise. So how do you get unity without compromise? That's the exact question that lingers. Because there's so many points where like, I can't bend on that point. This is an issue of conscience for me. So how do we work together? So I want to walk through this, and in many ways this is just rehearsal of past territory, but There's probably gonna be a little deeper uh, digging that I'm going to do in this. Let's go fly a kite. Understanding the gospel tension of freedom and submission. There are two clear things that come out uh, in the scriptures and they seem at first, if you just teach a message on freedom and liberty in Christ Jesus, beautiful message, profound. If you just bring a message on submission, uh, it's usually not as happy of a message uh, it's a little more challenging but it could be profound You'd be like, oh yeah that's very important and we can agree on both sides combining the two is where it gets a little dicey because the two seem to contradict each other well, okay how could you be free and still be a bond slave think of, think about that that doesn't make any sense I'm a bond slave of Christ and I'm free That doesn't make any sense. It sounds like a direct contradiction. You get all these nonsensical people out there that try and pick things like that and say, see, Christianity doesn't make any sense. Throw it out. The whole thing works together. And as a result, there is a tension, yes. But that's where the idea of what I want to go through today is to see the beauty in it. That this is a purposeful tension that is meant to grow us stronger, not get us irritated. So let's go fly a kite. So I, have a, I have a memory in my, in my mind, too, that come up. One is when I'm young, we have a young Eric Ludy, and uh, my family used to go to the park and we'd fly kites. I didn't really like flying kites. And if you asked me why, it bothered me. It's sort of like nails down a chalkboard. Some people love flying kites. They love getting that string out all the way to the end. For me, I'm like, hey, no, it's, no, no, come on, bring it closer, bring it closer. It really bothered me. I don't know if any of you are like me, but it, where it, it gets too far away, and the wind's too strong. And I've, some of my friends lost control, and it flew away. And I'm like, oh, where does it go? Oh, where did the fly, where did the, the kite go? It, it, like, bothered me. It felt out of control, which is going to give you a lot of illumination into my leadership. Because as I've been going through this, I recognize that even as a young kid, I didn't like to feel out of control. So think about that. In regards to, you don't know where I'm going, but in regards to how I lead in my home and in a church, huh, that is fascinating. I don't like to let the string out too much, lest the wind carry that kite away. Okay, so there's this... Old tension inside of me that I don't fly kites. I've probably—well, my wife has bought kites for the kids, and I usually complain about them. I'm like all they do is get gummed up. You know, all the 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 string gets caught up, and you throw it out anyways. Why do we even get into kite flying? I don't like kite flying, and yet people love kite flying. And I remember uh, Hudson. We had just gone through a very traumatic season. Uh, in fact, we were right in the throes of it. Uh, Leslie had had a miscarriage. This was about 12 years ago. And very difficult process we were walking through. And I remember walking down the hall, and I was just trying to gain perspective. And uh, Hudson was two, maybe even one in... Uh, yeah, somewhere around two. O- obviously old enough to make noise and sing and put words together. So he was somewhere in that time frame. And... I hear him through his door standing in his crib singing let's go fly a kite and he was singing all the words I don't know if he was getting them right but I remember God even speaking to me in that situation and it was the little kid perspective of hey you know don't get down in the dumps let's go out just like George Banks don't be so stiff let's go out and let's go out and play let's go out and have some fun hey let there's reason to smile in life and I remember actually taking note of that that the little child in the midst of that trauma, was saying, hey, let's go fly a kite. I didn't feel like flying a kite. Don't you realize what I'm going through in life? A little kid didn't seem to take note of that. So Hudson was singing, let's go fly a kite. So I I have the lyrics for you uh, from a key moment in the song. Uh, I did give uh, attribution to Richard and Robert Sherman here, just in case you're wondering who wrote it, because I didn't. (laughs) Oh, 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 let's go fly a kite up to the highest height let's go fly a kite and send it soaring boy i get nervous up through the atmosphere up where the air is clear oh let's go fly a kite that was powerful wasn't it (laughs) the kite a toy consisting this is the the definition online the toy consisting of a light frame with thin material stretched over it flown in the wind at the end of a long string There's two parts in constant tension. A part which catches the wind, and a part which submits to the pull of the string. Now these two seem to be in contradiction with each other. However, every one of us knows that a kite makes no sense if you don't have both. If all you have is something that catches the wind, it's like, see ya. If all you have is uh, the string, and you don't let it loose at any, any level, then you don't have anything to enjoy and play with. Both parts are desperately needed. If it doesn't catch wind, it lies dead. If it doesn't heed the restraint of the string, it is lost. There's two things that seem to be working together in this kite picture that I'm giving you, and I would say it is, whether or not it's a perfect metaphor of what we are dealing with as a body, I do think it is a really solid one for us to meditate upon this morning. Problem number one, if the wind blows and the kite catches the wind and the restraint of the string is too great, then the beauty of kite flying is not fully discovered. Okay, so fly a kite like Eric Ludy, and what you do is you might you know, give it like two feet, catch some wind and say, okay guys, we had our fun, let's go in. Everyone's like, that was boring like, hey, but we still flew the kites, okay? We still did it. You know, there's just a little uncomfortable to fly kites. You know, they could get out of control up there. That's problem number one is the wind could be blowing. The kite could catch it. But if the restraint of the string is too great, that's no fun. You just That's not really kite flying. Problem number two, if the wind blows and the kite catches the wind and the hand lets go of the string, then the beauty of kite flying is not fully discovered. You see, if... All you have is this kite catching wind and it goes flying away. That's not very fun either. In fact, if you were a young kid whose kite flew away, you would recognize that wasn't very fun. There is something, I mean, have you ever had the balloon that floats away and you have a little kid go, ah, my balloon, that whole thing. Yeah, that's like the kite, my kite. Okay, that's not any fun. It's not fun for the parent. It's not fun for the kid. There needs to be a proper balance between the two. So the tension, the tug, the pull, the challenge, and the battle for perfect balance is all part of the play. So whether or not I ever enjoyed the play of kite flying, supposedly it's fun. Okay, let's just start with the premise that this is fun. I mean, in the end of Mary Poppins, they're singing, let's go fly a kite, and everyone's smiling. So I'm guessing this is a fun process for most people. Okay, let me ask the question. How many of you... In, raise your hand if you enjoy kite flying. Okay, see, that's evidence that kite flying, as a general rule, is fun. Okay, how many of you are like me and get a little nervous with kite flying? Anyone? There's one or two? Okay, there's about four of you in here. Thank you guys. I'm glad that I get to be a part of such a minority. <laughs> so, there's this thing the play of kite flying, and it has to do with that tug and that pull, the fact that you have that grip on the string, and there is a pull against it as part of the thrill, okay? Now, maybe it's not a thrill I enjoy, but it's part of the thrill. But it is also keeping it at bay so it doesn't get out of control because that can start to waft over, and there's a big tree, there's always a tree out there. I was in this park, we used to play, do our kite flying, and there was always these huge trees. And kites have a strange magnetic pull towards trees. You ever notice that? It's like the wind will just drop. It's like, oh! And so there's this need to create that proper tension. So the Christian is a believer consisting of a spiritual frame perfectly suited to catching hold of the wind of the Holy Spirit and flying to the highest heights, all the while tethered and perfectly kept due to a humble submission to the Word of God in text and the earthly authorities that are laboring to see the believer soaring up through the atmosphere, up where the air is clear. There seems to be two things taking place. A believer is designed not to just be rogue and to do whatever they want. I'm free in Christ, let me go. See, this is the problem with the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was like, hey, we have liberty in Christ, and so they're doing all these things that are really stepping on everyone's toes. They're showing disrespect, they're being rude. That's why Paul's saying, hey guys, I have a better way. It's called love. You see, there's a need for that liberty to be tethered. You see, there's nothing wrong with a a kite being free to fly up to the highest height, but it needs to still have a tether to it, to something. What is that something? Well, very simply, it's the Word of God. And within the Word of God, there's actually a clarity for every one of us that we have a submission to godly authority in our life. And if we have just freedom and no godly authority that we're submitted to, well, that's no fun. That actually destroys our life. We get caught in the tree of false doctrine, I mean, very easily. There's a reason why that tether is there. It's to help lead us and guide us so that we don't get snagged with the snags that are all around us. And that the true joy of this experience known as kite flying is able to be thoroughly relished. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. It's a picture of the cross. The cross is such an amazing picture of these two dimensions being brought together. These these seeming opposites being brought together. God's love, God's mercy, God's kindness, mixed with God's justice, his holiness, and his righteousness. The, The two If God is truly holy and just and righteous, we have no hope. If that's all, he is. But he's also love and he's mercy. Remember, it says mercy triumphs over judgment. And so there's this tension that exists and the cross solves it all. You see, God has created a means, a way, in and through the shed blood of his son for this juxtaposed reality that we face and that is that we are sinners and he is righteous and he can have nothing to do with unrighteousness so we must be cast off but god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not be cut off should not perish but have everlasting life you know that it's called the gospel but the gospel is a weaving together of these tensions and it solves them in the person of christ what he did actually gives us the solution. You know, Jesus was that kite flying to the highest height. He caught the wind of the Spirit unlike any of us have ever witnessed a man catch it. And yet he was perfectly tethered. You know that he never violated anything to do with the nature of God? The Word of God was perfectly fulfilled in him. He was submitted to the Father. He did nothing but what the Father was doing. He spoke nothing but what the Father was speaking. Oh. He was tethered at the same time he demonstrated the life that caught the spirit of God unlike any man that ever lived before him or after, okay? And we're the body of Christ. We're supposed to model that as individuals and together. As a church, we are learning how to fly a kite. That's a pretty good way of describing it there is something that we are learning and by the way this message that i'm giving in this process that we're walking through is so unusual in christianity you may be frustrated with it because it seems like we keep walking through it why do we keep doing this it's because it is an extreme tension and if you give too much space on either side if you bring in the rope the, the string too tight you kill and you have a dead church If you let it out too much or just drop it and say, hey, maybe our leadership's getting in the way, let's just let this kite fly. What have you done? You've lost your your kite. In other words, how do you do this? How much string should be given out? And some of you have proposed the fact that just let go of the string, okay? By the way, I've gotten that proposal. You didn't say it was string. But just give way, leadership. Why are you hindering this? And then you have others in here by the way that are scared to death of the leadership letting go of the string okay i mean we we are a funny body we really are okay and i know some of you want to know statistics of how many are leaning this way how many are leaning this way but the point is there's both and in this body because we are all wired differently even though i'm a little concerned that only four people raise their hand that they're concerned about kites flying too wildly i'm like this one guy It's like eric you're the only one that's concerned as a church, we are learning how to fly a kite. We have some who are afraid of giving out too much string and are stifling the fun of catching the wind. I know I look like the guilty party when we read that. By the way, I have no desire to hinder the Holy Spirit. None. I am, I'm the one bringing it up. Just remember that. I'm the one that keeps bringing this up, saying, guys, I want the wind to catch us. I want to move us forward. I am hotwired. For whatever reason, maybe it's because of my experience. I've traveled all over the world. I've been in thousands of churches. I know the dangers of what is happening in modern Christianity. I know where it's going. And I am, yes, very likely hypersensitive. It's very likely. And as a result, I want to notate that and allow the Spirit of God to put his finger on that and say, Eric, that's hyper." It's not just sensitive, it's a hypersensitive. All right, God, you're right. There's some of you that are hypersensitive to strong leadership, why? Because you've been in that church. You You know that one church where the leadership took way too strong of a position? and started defining how you're supposed to live and everything about it, how your marriage should be, how your child raising should be, how your kids should sit in church and all that, and you're like, oh boy, if I see elders leaving, steer anywhere near that, I'm out of here. Okay, so as a result, there could be a hypersensitivity on the other side. Okay, so as a result, there is this very unique blend of a body here where we're all coming usually to something like this because we don't like the extremes. We want the body of Christ the way it's supposed to be. And we know that in this environment, we are at least correctable to the word of God. One thing I can tell you about our leadership is we are correctable to the word of God. This is a humble group of men. And they really desire to serve Jesus Christ. And we talk about this. Are we being too strong? Are we hindering the flow of the spirit? Because we don't want to. So God, please correct us if this is the case. We're not trying to self-justify. We're not saying, hey, we're fine, leave us alone. There is a genuine desire for us to be conducive, to, us, to facilitate what God is doing. However, we see equally in Scripture, not just the facilitation of the Holy Spirit, but the governance and the superintendence over sound doctrine. And how do you do both of those simultaneously? Well, here we are. We have some who are afraid of giving out too much string and are are stifling the fun of catching the wind. We have some who are altogether opposed to the string and want the kite to have the freedom to just fly wherever. So we're going to have two different groups of people that I'll define here. The hold the string tight gang. So their fear, the wind will carry the kite up and then the no stringers will snip away the string and fly off to Neverland. Okay, it's, it's a real, it's like, whoa, if this gets too far, then I can just see those no-stringers. They're like, uh-huh, finally, snip. And then they'll go flying off. And I've seen it. I've seen how bad it can get. Okay, and all of you were like, what, do you think we're going to do that? Is that what we're doing? All right, here's the, another group. The cut the string that's holding us back brigade. Their fear, the wind will blow, and the little, the little stringers will quench it by giving no allowance for flight. First, a message to the hold the the string tight gang. So for any of you that happen to be more concerned about there being too much string out there and what the wind of the Holy Spirit may do if he actually had allowance in this church, all of you out there that might identify with that, then this is a message. So, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. There seems to be a real propensity to have leadership exasperate children, okay, or those under them. Because in the church is not a direct parallel with parenting, nor is it a direct parallel, like my relationship as a leader with you, of a bridegroom-bride. However, that which is spoken of any type of submissive relationship is still a clue and an indication of how government works. And so, In this, we see still a principle, even though this isn't a father-child relationship that we have in a church. It's still based on the same principles, and a leadership can exasperate their children. And so what would be a lesson here to those that want to hold it too tight? You run the risk, if you parent this way, if you parent too tight, of exasperating your children. And so instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. The word exasperate is a very interesting one i want to see if any of you have ever had any of these feelings while being at ellerslie infuriate incense anger annoy irritate madden enrage antagonize provoke irk vex get on someone's nerves here's some good ones ruffle someone's feathers or rub the wrong way if you haven't had that you haven't ever been in a church that sort of just comes with the territory except for it is a very clear thing for a leadership to be sensitive to the fact that there are things that can actually create this that should be avoided. In other words, here's a principle of leadership, okay? When I have people working under me, I always want to give room for growth, okay? That's what I call it. Always make sure the ceiling is higher than their height, lest they get a crick in their neck as they grow because your goal as a leader is that people grow up and mature, And a lot of leaders want to keep everyone around them young and immature so that they're needed. It's it's an insecurity complex thing. But if you're really good at leading, you're going to always move the ceiling up so people can grow and they get tall and they get strong. Well, that's a whole new thing to lead is strong people. Yeah, But that's what you're after. If you're growing up kids, you don't want to give them a crick in their neck where they have no room to grow. You want to make sure that there's always room to grow lest you exasperate them there are diversities of gifts remember this is spoken to the people that want to hold the string a little too tight Okay, we don't know who you are out there but I just know that there's at least a few of you there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit there are differences of ministries but the same Lord and there are diversities of activities but it is the same God who works all in all but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all so i know we we've gone over this scripture quite a few times especially this fall but it's the same god who works all in all in other words it's all that this is being worked in okay it's not just a few it's all that is are being worked in with this manifestation of the holy spirit but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one okay that's not just a few that means the spirit of god or that wind is blowing into you as a kite as well for the profit of all. So if we're seeking the profit of all, what would we do as leadership? We would understand that you have to make sure that you don't hold the string where that wind cannot actually be manifest in the kites. So the wind is given by God, not as a threat, but as a benefit for all. So a lot of us that have witnessed the abuses of what we could call the Holy Spirit, Okay? the abuses of that working of grace, that wind blowing in the body, we can oftentimes have an odd notion that the wind blowing is a threat to the church. No, no, it's from God, and it's actually given as a benefit for everyone. It is actually meant to build us up. The fact that the devil has gone out of his way to try and distort this just shows you how valuable it is. So having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So this is a clear command, just as clear as anything that could be said about leadership in the church. It is just as clear that the body of Christ is being commissioned to use the wind that they are given. Fly! No, no, fly! What are you doing sitting on the ground? Fly! Fly! I got some string that is holding me from going anywhere. So then who's responsible? Those that are holding the string in that one. So in other words, it is important for those that are wanting to hold back the string to recognize that it says, let us use them. When the leadership holds too tightly, it's impossible for the wind to carry the kites up to the highest height. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So as each one, each one of us is receiving a wind, there's a gust in our life, And yet we're given a command. We're supposed to minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. When the leadership holds too tightly, the believers in the church are prohibited from ministering to one another and from being good stewards of the wind blowing in and through their lives. We actually prohibit as leaders in that situation from the body being able to fulfill the clear command of scripture. So that obviously isn't good. 1 Corinthians 12. I had a huge chunk of this because it's a great scripture for what we're talking about, but to simplify, I took this portion out. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. It's a key line I want you to pick up on. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body. So if you want to avoid schism, actually you need to allow the body to catch wind but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, earnestly desire the best gifts. So here's a summary out of that to those that want to hold tightly to the string. When the leadership holds too tightly, they're unwittingly saying, we have no need of you, 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 or you because scripture is very clear in saying that everyone is given wind. Everyone is built as a kite to catch it for the profit of all. But if we prohibit those kites from flying, what we're basically saying is, yeah, we don't, we don't need you to catch wind. We don't need you to catch wind. We have this all taken care of here. So we have no need of you, 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 or you. We trust that the gifts we as the leadership possess are sufficient for gaining health within this church which is a direct contradiction to what the scriptures say. So now a message to the cut the string that's holding us back brigade. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Those that have a vision for helping protect and preserve that kite flying. In other words, they have a vision for the heights of the kite and where it should go, but that it must be tethered, that it must have that word of God governing it lest it crash into trees and get caught in branches. Those that have a desire for that, they're desiring a good thing, which is a direct complement to the idea of being a caretaker for the, the flight of that kite and where it goes and how it gets there. That's a good thing to desire because we need that in the body. That's basically what you see Paul saying to Timothy. God seems very keen on the idea of good string holders being raised up in the church. There's a word that Paul is gonna use over and over again. Many of you have heard me teach on this throughout the years, it's to me. But it's a very interesting word because it means two things simultaneously. It means to care for with gentleness and to protect with fierceness, simultaneously. So it's like a shepherd word, okay, which is why it's applied to shepherds. But it's like having a, a staff or a rod, and with that rod, you're supposed to comfort your sheep. But do you know that a shepherd uses that same rod to club a wolf? And so as a result, a shepherd needs to learn how to proestimate. He is supposed to protect and care for the sheep or let that kite fly in this, in this instance, and he's also supposed to clonk on the head the wolves. Many of us as leaders, as, as parents, as we've clonked the sheep instead of the wolf at times. In other words, we can get it backwards, okay? That's why we were entrusted that authority. A rod in Scripture is a symbol of authority. And when you're given that authority, you're supposed to use it well, and we're held to a very high level of accountability if we use it wrongly. So to superintend, to preside over, to protect, and guard, but it also means to care for and give attention to. So this is the operative word in Scripture. Bishops, deacons, elders, fathers, and husbands are all commissioned to proisteme. They're all commissioned to be sensitive to to where sensitivity is needed, to your sheep, and to be fierce towards that which opposes your sheep. So if something is coming against your sheep, what are you supposed to do as a bishop, deacon, elder, father, or husband? Clonk it. Don't allow that in. Don't allow it to devour your sheep. But let's make sure we remember the difference between wolves and sheep. If it's one of your sheep, even if they're misbehaving, what should you do? You need to handle a sheep as a sheep and handle a wolf as a wolf. And so how a shepherd is supposed to work is very, very important. But it is a very specific job description that we are commanded to attend to. In other words, it's not just, hey, uh, do we have a shepherd here? Yeah, name only. You actually don't do anything. Well, what if wolves come? Just, Just love your sheep. Well, how do I love them? Just ignore wolves. That's not how love works. If you really love your sheep, you're going to protect your sheep from wolves. And yet, to protect your sheep from wolves, you oftentimes create a pen. In other words, there's limitations or there's a hold on the string that seems to contradict the freedom of the sheep. Come on, I thought these sheep could wander the hills wherever they wanna go. Yeah, but you need to know that there's there's, uh, lions and bears And panthers, there's all sorts of things out there that want to devour these sheep. So what does the shepherd do? He watches over the sheep lest they wander, lest they get caught in little briar patches, lest they become dinner for the local lion. A shepherd has a very specific job, and that's to lay down his life for the sheep that they would be protected So here's an illustration of Paul talking to Timothy. This is a pastoral letter. Paul is talking to Timothy about being a shepherd. One that rules, or proistomies, well his own house, having his children. This is what a bishop needs to be. His children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule, or proistomies, his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? A man is not fit to rule in the body of Christ if he's passive at home. If he's not dealing with wolves and comforting sheep well in his home, then he has no business leading the church because that's what the church is. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling or proistamine their children in their own house as well. Let the elders that rule, proistamine well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Yet, if you've ever been around someone who's quote-unquote laboring in word and doctrine, they have a tendency to have a really tight hold on the string. They're always very interested in string holding. It's like, hey, we don't want to let that out too far there. Those are those crazy characters that are laboring in word and doctrine. They're always thinking about trees and false things to get briar patches. They're all talking about that. Get these people out of there. They're hindering the flow of the Spirit. They're working together. And that's the key that i want to bring up today is that it's not one side or the other it's both and that we need to cultivate here in this church god designed that elders be put in place in every church this is very clear from scripture men that hold the string as the bible commands them to hold it to do this they must understand the highest heights the wind desires to take the kites up to and how to help those kites avoid the tree limbs of false doctrine on their way soaring up through the atmosphere up where the air is clear. I'm getting a lot of mileage out of this song from Mary Poppins today. Ephesians 6. Now, Ephesians 6 goes beyond just one through three. Of course, this is the classic uh, chapter when you get to verse 10 where it talks about uh, the spiritual battle and the armor of God. But before that, it is talking about authority and submission. And it talks to children. Then it talks to fathers, which is about do not exasperate your children. Uh, and then it goes into talking to master or slaves and masters. And so it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So a child from a young age growing up in a Christian home is going to learn something. And that is that there is a tether on the life. And as you respect that tether, you are learning as a child to grow up to respect the tether of the word of God in text. To respect it, that the Holy Spirit will never violate that tether. The Holy Spirit's wind will never blow you in a direction that is opposite the tug and the pull of the word of God. They work together. If you want to have fun with your kite, you need to learn both and. It's not just catch the wind. The Holy Spirit told me to divorce my spouse. how many people have had the Holy Spirit supposedly tell them that? No, 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 he didn't. Okay, that's not actually what's going on here. Something else is going on. I don't think that's the right spirit. You see, the way that we even test the spirit is with the word of God in text. That's how we create this tension that actually helps govern and for us to discern how this wind is blowing. Is this the right wind? Where is it carrying you? That wind's carrying you into a tree. Beware, false wind. When the cut the string that's holding us back brigade, when they don't heed the tug of the string, they immediately open themselves up to a flight pattern that doesn't go so well. Titus, you'll notice that this is quite the collection of scriptures in the uh, the book of Titus. Again, this is a pastoral letter. Paul is talking to Titus, and he's, in a sense, training him how to handle this church in Crete. I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. For there are many insubordinates, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcisions, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. So in the church, the pastor is being told, but we got a lot of those that don't really appreciate the string. They're insubordinate, okay? They want to fly free, but so I want you to set things in order. We need to get the proper tug on this, okay? We need to get the proper hold on this. And he gives them a description of that there are these who are seeking, whether that's for their own self-glory, there's all sorts of different reasons of why people enter into the church of Jesus Christ, and you know what leads them is not always the Holy Spirit. We need to be watchful of that. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. You see, Titus is being told to guard the correct doctrine. In other words, Paul has entrusted him with something and to actually help steer this church in Crete to be healthy. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Paul Paul is saying to Titus, I've given you authority to actually... Look at this. To speak these things that Paul is teaching him, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. And it isn't just the authority in the church. He's actually telling slaves to be submitted to their masters. Okay, he does exhort masters to be loving to the slaves, but it's interesting to say, hey, wherever you're at, submit and to show love in and through that, to show obedience unto God in and through submitting to your earthly authorities. And I know that authority can get out of whack, and it can be oppressive, and it can be bad. I get that. There's there's all sorts of balancing things that we could throw into this, but I don't want to, because there has been abuse of authority, throw out the idea as if it's not biblical. It is. It's very important, but it just has to be the Holy Spirit's version. It has to be in agreement with God's nature. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. There are those that try and come in to divide, to create schism. And as a result, there is a need for protection in the body. That string holder becomes very, very significant. God says this is very important. He's the one that adores it. This is worth double honor if someone is doing this well within the church. If someone is functioning this way, this is very, very important. Can the string holder hold back the work of the kite and the individual kites from flying? Yeah, he can. And can the kites rebel and be insubordinate to the string holder? Yeah, yep, they can. This is... Proven true throughout Christian history. We know very well as Christians how to do this wrong. What my appeal to all of us is, is that we labor to do it right. I have a vision that we can do this right. I know for me, God has put his finger on this and he's pointing, if there's any hyper in me where it's just like extra sensitive, I'm the first one to say, yeah, guys, I'm seeing that I'm acting sort of weird here because you could say well doesn't the bible say this yes it does and then i get a twitch it's like it says it and i agree with it but uh boy and you've seen me when we talk about greet each other with a holy kiss i have the same like twitch that comes up it's like I, it says it five times so what am i gonna do wow well, you know we live in different times we, we have these uh, it also just says it so how do we exercise the truth of the word of god that is tethering us that is saying, hey guys, there's a pattern for how we exhibit the nature of God. Let's heed his prescription instead of coming up with our own. There is a clear tie in scripture between submitting to the tug and pull of authority in your life, whether it is be parental, business, church, government, and even slave master, and to showing honor to God. When God built the kite, he designed it for both the ability to fly high and the ability to submit low. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, pneumaticus charisma, so that you may be established. Here's the interesting blend. We have string holder, Paul, and we have church at Rome, and Paul is given something as the apostle in this situation to be able to impart to them in Rome, that those in Rome don't just get on their own. You see, God has created this dimension of connectivity between the two that when the kites submit to the string holder there's a blessing that comes paul's saying hey as a string holder i want you to fly to the highest height i want to let out even more string i want to give you even more wind when i come into town do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership isn't that interesting where this impartation of wind and even greater degree of strength is coming from It's coming from the ones that seem to be guilty oftentimes of hindering it. In other words, these things should be working together, not contradictory to each other. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And I could make every kite upset going, why do we need anyone to lay hands on us? God should just deal directly with me. God can deal directly with you, but there's something about working together as a body which creates even a greater blessing. When you submit to that string holding, if you will, when you submit in your life to that which God has established, it's amazing, but wind comes through that channel. The Council of Jerusalem is one of those interesting studies. Now, it's a descriptive, not a prescriptive, which means there's not command in it. It's just a story. And so you can't take it as doctrine, but it affects your doctrine, okay? The way that you conclude, as it matches with the rest of Scripture, we need to recognize this is a descriptive story, not a prescriptive. It's not telling us what to do. It's describing what happened. But it's very interesting because we have similar tensions, different issues, but similar tensions that are taking place in the early church we have rabble-rousers. They were called the Pharisees in this little story, but they're of the circumcision, if you've ever heard that, they're Judaizers. They're ones that want to take the newly converted Gentiles and put them under the law. Hey, we as Jews are under the law, you guys should be too. And this becomes a tension point, and what you're gonna see is the balance between letting kites fly and eldership attempting to be led of the Holy Spirit with wisdom to know how to govern the flight of those kites. Should we let the Gentiles come under law and have no string? Or should we let them fly away? Or should we mitigate against that and create the right tension? And what you see in this is very fascinating. So Acts 15. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. By the way, there are people in the church today teaching basically the exact same thing. It's really weird. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning the issue. So there's just tension. Paul and Barnabas are like, hey guys, you're missing the whole gospel here. And yet there's a tension. There's a possible division. You have these young believers who are being pulled in two directions. Am I supposed to come under law? And Paul and Barnabas are like, you're not supposed to be under law. You're freed from the law. Now you're under grace. So Paul and Barnabas are told to go and to submit this. And they're to the elders concerning the issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, who had believed, stood up, saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Now, in historical context of this, the Pharisees would be the conservatives. The Sadducees would be like the liberals, okay? If you you were to create a plane. So this is the conservatives. It's like you have people coming into Christ. They need to be governed. They need to have some type of orientation. You can't just let them fly, okay? I could see the logic, okay? With 2,000 years distance, I look at the Pharisees and go, boo, I mean, terrible. However, you can understand the logic of the concern that they have. If you just have these Gentiles catch the wind of the spirit and do whatever they want, how do we know that they're gonna make the right choices? Okay, it's a really good uh, and reasonable concern, even though I, I think we all disagree with the Pharisee position on this. It is necessary, says the Pharisees, to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. It wasn't obvious, guys. To us, all these years later, we have the conclusions. But this is the early church. These apostles walked with Christ. You'd think they would just be like, that is stupid. That is ridiculous. Pharisees, get out of here. Instead, these are reasonable debates and discussions. And so you see them gathering together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate amongst Apostles and elders, they actually debated it. We're like, what do you guys even need to debate? Isn't it obvious? It wasn't obvious. You see, we face issues as the church in every generation that are not just obvious, but if we work together, we can come to conclusions like in Acts 15 that actually bring glory to God. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon, uh, Peter, had related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Then he quotes the Old Testament. After these things, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my judgment, says James, that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Now, I want you to recognize even the term We do not trouble those. Exasperate is the exact concept here. That we do not exasperate. You have these young Gentiles that are turning to the Lord. They're new in the faith. That we do not trouble them with undue weights. But that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas called Bersabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren, and they sent this letter by them. So we have an interesting thing that has just unfolded. I don't know if you catch it, but you have this play of the Pharisees that are like, hey, bring them under law. Pull the string in. Don't let them fly at all. And then you have this interesting tension. It's like, if they fly, we don't know what's going to happen. It could could work on righteousness. And then you have the elders looking into this saying, "How, how are we supposed to handle this? Are they right? And the conclusion is, no, that isn't how the gospel works. That's not what Christ has taught us. He set us free from that law. But you'll notice that they still tether the kite. Let's at least let them know that there are certain stumbling points that they need to be aware of. Watch out for this tree, watch out for that tree, and watch out for that tree, but fly high. In other words, you see them setting them free, but still with governance, still with a tethering. And I would say that in every generation, that tethering might look a little different than it did in Acts 15. But the point is that the eldership had wisdom in that matter to tether the early church based on their unique challenges at that point in time. For instance, we don't deal with food sacrifice to idols. And so the way that we appropriate this might be differently applied in our generation, but same principle. The apostles and the brethren who are elders, this is the letter that they're sending. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, who are from the Gentiles, greetings. So this is written to Gentiles. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, isn't that an incredible statement? Having become of one mind to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, therefore we have sent Judas and Silas who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, to not hold you in more than is necessary but to let you fly to the degree that is necessary, is appropriate. That you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. There's still string attached. It's not just, hey, whatever you feel like doing, you're a Christian, you're a believer, you're set free by Christ Jesus, get away from that law. Instead, fly. There's still a tether. It's very interesting to see that. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. After they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, this is a very fascinating thing to have this in the same context, okay? Now, some of you may know where this is going, but listen closely. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work these are God-fearing men that just walked through a very difficult issue together, have worked together in the field. They're both solid. That's all we know. There's nothing to the contrary in Scripture. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. This is, by the way, Paul who teaches unity <laughs> And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Uh, It doesn't say that Barnabas is sent away being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Isn't that an interesting statement? It does say that Paul was. So the Paul opinion on this is the harder one to swallow because the mercy-minded people in here are like, hey, come on, let him have a second chance. Paul recognizes the significance of shrinking away when the testimony of Jesus is at, at stake you can just sort of see Paul it's like that guy needs to prove himself uh first this is too important of a work and I, I don't feel comfortable with it and you can't you see Barnabas it's like we need to show mercy this is what it's about you can't just cut him off and say there's no hope I'm not saying there's no hope I'm saying I don't feel comfortable with him coming on this trip with us That is contrary to the gospel, Paul. How could you who preach this and this and this say that? It is not contrary to the gospel. It is just as important because I have to be a protector of the church and this man is dangerous right now. He left us when we were in Pamphylia. I am not gonna, can't you just hear this? I mean, this is classic stuff. Someone should write a movie script over this. (laughs) Which one's right, which one's wrong? Doesn't commentate on that. It shows you that there is points of contention among strong Christians that can divide. Our labor as the church is to not have that happen. It is, it is possible, just in the way it's worded, that Paul's position is actually endorsed by the church. They were sent off by the church. It seems to be complemented by the church. Whereas Paul and or Silas and what is it, Barnabas took Mark. No comment there. It doesn't mean that. It just means what Paul did is definitely backed, though, in this statement. During a transition from an old model to a new model, okay? In this time, you have an old model to a new model. You have Judaism, Christ comes, dies, is buried, is resurrected, ascends. You have the early church. Whoa, this is a new system. This is a new way of doing things. And in that transition, you have challenge we are going from an old system many of us have a disturbance inside of us when we think about making this church like every other church out there we don't want it we don't want it the reason many of us are here is because we all don't want to be like that we're just not exactly sure what we're trying to be we just don't want it to be like that but all of us if we were to throw our opinions in of what we think god's doing here or where he should be taking us we might differ just a little But we all agree we want to go where God's leading us. We're going from an old model, stiff, dead church, to living, breathing, kite flying, up to the highest heights, up through the atmosphere, up where the air is clear. Yeah, that's what we all agree with. However, how do we get there? We're gonna go through a transition just like the Council of Jerusalem is a transition. How do you deal with the law how are you supposed to deal with these gentiles that are coming in? because the judaism wasn't based around gentiles what do you do with gentiles now how are you supposed to deal with the law all of those things i mean i feel like i'm reading my own life and reading the council of jerusalem it's like yeah yeah that's sort of what it feels like it feels like that it's a tension that i don't have quick answers to So, in every transition, there seems to be two different voices. We're going to call it a Pharisee voice and a Sadducee voice. There's a Pharisee voice that says, but you need to teach these Gentiles to keep the law. You need to bind them tight and not allow any string to be released until they are proven perfect. When the church is fully mature, then we'll let the string out. Okay, now there's some of you, when you hear that, are like, oh, that idea is from the devil. Because it is. It's an incorrect appropriation of thought it sounds good at first That if everyone was perfected then we would never have a problem in our church when we let the string out and it catches, and it, catch it and the kite catches however there's another side to this there's a sadducee voice that says but we are free in christ with no restraint with no fence we don't need string to control us we have been set free to be carried by the wind into whatever tree we sit, see fit to crash into now, of course, some of you that are more in that direction would say, I think that isn't a quote from me. Well, I would say up top, that's not a quote from me either. In other words, all of us are probably somewhere in between this. I don't want to be the Pharisee voice any more than you'd probably want to be the Sadducee voice if you happen to lean in that direction. But both of those guys crucified Christ. We're not interested in that. We want to do this right, but we still have leanings. For whatever reason, we have leanings. Then you have this Paul and Barnabas conflict. Look at Paul. John Mark shouldn't be allowed to come. String tight. Barnabas. John Mark should be shown mercy. Let the string out. And it's interesting just to see that in this same context, you have that sharp disagreement. Uh, Psalm 85. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. It is not one or the other i'm with paul i'm with barnabas it's like hey i see what paul's saying and i understand barnabas guys how about we work this out (laughs) that's a hard one especially since it doesn't show it in scripture in that exact situation except for we do see that mark does seem to repent and come back and is useful to paul later which is a very interesting fact either paul (laughs) figured he was wrong or John Mark recognized what I did to Paul was wrong. Paul, thank you for holding the, the line on that. Thank you for being that string to my life. A final word to the leadership. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and being, as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, this isn't a husband-wife relationship in the church, but again, the same principle can be extrapolated, that there is a need for leadership to live in an understanding way, that if the way that we are leading is exasperating, is not understanding what should happen. If any of you are, are da- i sorry, husbands in here, boy, this scripture is so telling. There's, it's so easy to not be understanding, so easy. And it's so easy in any leadership position to say, hey, they just need to get used to it. This is my role. Don't they understand it? This is hard. Very easy to do things like that, as opposed to saying, no, I want to live in an understanding way. And that's imperative for the leadership. We need to pull on this string in an understanding way. Never prohibiting the kites from reaching those highest heights. It is imperative that we don't use our position of rulership to exasperate, to control, or to take the Holy Spirit's place a final word to the congregation there is a huge blind spot in this generation toward the importance of the string holders you know that the anti-man movement that is currently in place today is if you could call it this an anti-authority movement it is an anti head movement we want to diminish the headship ultimately of Jesus Christ This is how the spirit of the age is working. It is anti-Christ. And Christ being the head of his church models that in all relationships, in all forms of government. And so what we see is a generation. We are very susceptible to it. To see the beauty of something like spiritual gifts and the use of all the body makes sense to us, but to have the string still attached to it, what what's that doing there? I've seen that string misused. Yeah, so have I. And yet, it is not throwing out one or the other. It is learning to find that tug and that pull and balance in it. Please help serve your string holders here in this church by working with our tugs and our pulls and not fighting against them. We give them because we love this body. A reminder of of what this is all about. It might shock you guys. Jesus. You see, the whole point of this church is Jesus you seen Jesus you being changed by Jesus you having your life overcome by Jesus Jesus living inside of you Jesus leading your life Jesus being seen through your life you giving Jesus to others that's what we're here for so what is going to best help that be facilitated that's what we're learning So to do that, we need to fly a kite. That's what this church is. Why are we flying it? For Jesus. For what purpose? That Jesus would be seen, that Jesus would be known, that Jesus would be manifest in our lives, through our lives, and this world would see more of Jesus. The whole reason that this even matters and the whole reason we need to wrestle through, even though hardly a church on earth would ever dare try and cover this topic because it indicts leadership, it exposes leadership. We're willing as a leadership in front of all of you to say, we are not perfect. We desire to hold this string properly. Have we done it perfectly? Probably not. And have we clung to it too tightly? Possibly. We're willing to be corrected in that. And that's not something a leadership wants you to focus on. Hey, focus on something else, not on us. It's hard, it really is being leaders. But if we aren't humble, and if we aren't sensitive to this, we run the risk of exasperating. And not living in an understanding way with those that we have been assigned to care for. And in so doing, we are hindering the flow of grace in and through this church, and ultimately we end up with a dead kite. I have no interest in a dead kite. I also don't have interest in a kite flying away and getting caught in a tree. I'm interested in a kite that flies to the highest heights, up through the atmosphere, up where the air is clear. I want us as a church to be a testimony, a flying flag in this world that is showcasing the glory of God and everyone has to stand back and go, whoa, look at that. That's like a church that actually works. Yep. How's it done? Not by men, by God. Our job is to humble ourselves and to allow his way to rule. That's the same for us as fathers. That's the same for us as husbands. That's the same if you run a business, if you're a leader in this church. There's two sides. Every time Paul seems to bring this up, He talks to the children, then he talks to the fathers. He talks to the slaves, then he talks to the masters. He's talking both sides, saying, guys, if you want to work this out, you have to learn how to do it from both sides. For some of us, we need to turn up the volume of submission in our life. For some of us, we need to turn up the volume of allowing the body to function and there to be more freedom in that functionality. Both sides have risks, guys, and I guarantee you we all have different sensitivity points in this. I have sensitivity points going both ways. I've seen both sides abused, which then paralyzes us in this middle ground of nowhere. I want us to be the church of Jesus Christ the way God intended it to be.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com. E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.